Welcome listeners to the Premium Investment Leaders Series podcast. I'm Damien Chilmy, Head of Investment Managers and Governance at Premium, and once again, we're pleased to bring you investment insights from great investors around the world. Today, we're back talking about property and specifically the office market. There's a number of dimensions to this topic with all of us working in a business environment, asking what's the future for office work? with the unprecedented work from home experiment conducted around the world? And then what does that mean for demand and the investment case for office property assets? We're very fortunate today to be joined by Miriam Patterson from Charter Hall, one of Australia's largest institutional property investors, managing over 70 billion in this sector, owning over 1,500 individual properties. About Miriam, she is the head of office partnerships at Charter Hall, responsible for management of over nine billion of wholesale office portfolios on behalf of wholesale investors. Prior, prior to this, Miriam was a fund manager for Charter Hall's direct business, and prior to Charter Hall, Miriam worked at Telstra Super as head of real assets and Hastings Funds Management. She has over 15 years' experience in property and infrastructure and a member of the Australian Institute of Company Directors and a member of the Institute of Chartered Accountants for Australia and New Zealand. Miriam, welcome to the program. Thank you, Damien. It's great having you here and um, a great topic. It's, it's always um, something that everyone's talking about, about what's happening to the office and you've got some great insights here. We're really uh, fortunate to have you here today. Before we get into the market specifics, can you set the scene of what's happening to the office in a post-COVID world? What are attendance trends like? What are you seeing out there about attendances uh, with the office and the attitude to office? From a tenant perspective, um, we're certainly seeing a flight to experience and the flight to quality. Um, numbers are starting to trend upwards, which is a good sign. Um, we are, at the end of the day, employees now have... They're facing a, a return-to-work decision. And so um, employees have the choice, now that they're working flexibly, do they either stay at home or do they come into the office? And so employees really need... Employers need to really... Um, weigh into that decision by trying to create attractive and um, vibrant places for their employees to come in um, so that that is their first choice, not their last choice. Mm. And have you got any specific on numbers in terms of average attendances? Yeah, certainly. Um, in It does vary. It varies um, within the week. Uh, so Monday and Fridays are the... Are the, um, <laughs> yep. the the quietest, I would probably say, um, and then you know, trending up between Tuesday and Thursday is, is probably the higher occupancy days, and, and we're certainly seeing anecdotally that there are it's hard to get a seat on the train in, in the morning. The traffic is more um, congested and the like, so they're all good signs. Um, you know, foot traffic across the city of Melbourne on weekends is now above pre-COVID levels, which is great. Um, we need to see the midweek uh, footfall also getting up there. So it's around 80%, which is really positive. This is in Melbourne, that is. Um, Across Australia, we're seeing, um, you know, that the occupancy ranges from 40 to 50% in Melbourne and Sydney, um, ranging to 60, 70% across um, some of the areas like Queensland, uh, Brisbane and Perth have not been impacted as much by the lockdowns. Um, But importantly, the trend is up. Um, and so, but again, it is about um, some of these large employers making active decisions around um, creating um, 
reasons for people to come back to the office. Mm, yeah, and we'll get into some of the stuff later about you know what they're doing about reshaping because obviously the numbers are not equally dispersed like they, they used to be, everyone turning up for five days. But what are businesses doing to attract specifically you know employees back into the office? And is there also a change in the way that offices are kind of being built as a result of that? This is the conundrum that they're facing. So some of them are looking at fixed, uh, mandated return to the work, and some of them are... We're hearing a bit more now, like conversationally, you're hearing from people like, oh, we've been asked now, two days going up to three, four. That's right. Um, so, So there is an element of a mandated return to work, but then there's also the organic approach where you can create... Um, amazing workplaces so that people want to be in there. And so, um, you know, if you can create a physical environment that allows people to connect um, organically uh, and create value and collaborate, well, then I think you're going to have a much more successful and thriving business as a result. Mm. Have you seen uh, any specific ideas that um, either landlords and or employees have done to, is it, is it events, is it, you know, themes or, or things like that to, uh, to encourage people back in? Yeah, look, at Charter Hall, we, um, we really love precincts and we love partnering with our tenants to create um, active and vibrant places that our tenants want to be in. And at the end of the day, we want to be the landlord of choice. So um, by this, we mean... We want to create the right spaces that have the amenity and experiences that um, people want to use. Um, And this can consist of things like Monday morning breakfasts, um, initiatives such as uh, International Women's Day. Um, We recently are holding community events in the precinct, such as um, Melbourne Fashion Week and the like. Um, And so offices are really... um, they're not just places for people to turn up and, and go to work. They're places for people to gather, to connect, to foster um, new ideas and to collaborate. And so um, it really needs to be more than just, you know, the bricks and mortar. Mm. Okay. And then drilling down to what, what employees are thinking, have they, you know, changed what they expect the office to look like and what the building for which their office what it contains and what kind of services they have. So what are, what are they expecting now? You know, as well as um, activations, we're also, they're expecting greater levels of amenity, both provided by the landlord and also the surrounding area. So you need to be quite con- cognizant around what assets you choose or what how you create or build your assets to create that environment, again, that people want to be in. And so it's really around um, doing things like, creating a hotel-like experience for our tenants from the moment they walk in the door. They've got a concierge there to help them with wayfinding and provide services such as dry cleaning and the like. Um, you've got the lobby uh, cafe where people can meet and have a, an informal um, lunch or bite to eat and, and a conversation. Um, and then there are other areas like the end of trip facility, wellness area for yoga and, and the like that, again, really just draw a draw cards for people to congregate. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we want to, um, again, select buildings that are located, Not it's not just the existing amenity in the building that we provide, it's around choosing locations or asset selection that... Um, you know, you have surrounding amenity like bars and restaurants and close to transport infrastructure. Um, and, and at the end of the day, 
um, buildings that people want to be in um, lease up. They lease up more relative to buildings that um, are, say, older, that don't just don't have that offering. And at the end of the day, um, we want to uh, capture a disproportionate share of the demand um, through providing um, you know, great places for people to be in. And so examples of that have really, um, has been our one, uh, 130 with Lonsdale Street development at the Wesley Precinct in Melbourne. Um, and then also we've purchased um, the Southern Cross Precinct as well, which we seek to, we're gonna seek to create, again, a really vibrant and lively place to work there. And um, also another example that we're uh, looking to create is the Chifley South development, um, which is an additional podium uh, located on Chifley Square in Sydney. So we're really excited about the things that we can create for our tenant customers. Mm, that's a very impressive and site our investors. at Chifley. Yeah. And is the one at Southern Cross, is that uh, Amazon, is that one of the uh, key tenants? That's actually Triple Five. Okay. Um, Triple Five Collins Street. Yeah. Other, another new development. Um, You're very busy. Yeah. 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 No, very good. Um, and just the, based on um, some, some of these thematic pieces, before we get into a bit more detail, um, there's been movement interstate. I know a whole lot of Victorians moved uh, to, to Queensland, and we've also seen movement out of you know, urban areas, there's been a bit more of a flight out to regional areas. Has that seen a change in some of the demand for office space in some of those urban areas? Yeah, look, we have to agree that there has been, um, you know, some great shifts in the interstate migration. Um, certainly Victoria and New South Wales were the beneficiaries of or continue have been to the beneficiaries of the overseas migration. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's been, um, there's been a bit of a pause to, to that over the COVID period, but we would expect to see that come back um, with the lifts in the immigration um, levels going forward, as well as the skilled migration visas. Um, you know, in terms of uh, movement to the regions, we can't really say with certainty that that has, um, I suppose, there's been a material shift to the regions. And if you think about it, just in terms of the magnitude of the office space in the CBD relative to a regional area, like it's just dwarfed into comparison. So, um, you know, we haven't, we haven't seen any numbers from that to, to confirm that. And anecdotally, we also haven't seen, um, you know, large tenant shifts uh, to the regions also to support that. Um, but actually, it's, it's interesting, quite the contrary, in the CBD, we're actually seeing tenants that have been historically in the suburbs. Okay, like in a ring, just outside? So they've been, they've been yeah. outside in the suburbs, mm. in business parks and the like, and, you know, they've been there for 20 years. Mm. And all of a sudden, their offering in the suburbs can't compete with the mm. home office because a lot of these business parks just don't have that amenity, that amenity piece that people are looking for, that draw card that's going to, you know, really pull people back to the office. Yeah. And I suppose it's even the, the little things, like you're getting people in for team lunches and if you don't have the facilities around, you, you really can't execute on it. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's super interesting. Um, you know, they're, again, seeking greater tenant experience and amenity. Mm. Um, and they're also looking to redesign their work um, their workspace. So traditionally, there's just been desks. Whereas now, um, you know, even if a, a tenant is staying in the same spot, they're looking to reconfigure their workplace to 
assign a greater portion of their space to collaboration areas instead of traditional desks. Again, to increase the chances of that serendipitous you know, meeting of people yeah. um, to enhance creativity and collaboration. So let, let's just change tact a little now and we'll, we'll talk about ESG. It comes up constantly in, in every investment discussion, but you know, let's look at it from uh, how it impacts commercial real estate. So there's probably two elements to, that I'd like to find out about here is you know, what are the tenants demanding from your ESG credentials? And then also you've got investors as well. And so what are you doing as a business to, to promote your ESG credentials for your buildings? ESG influences everything we do. So the whole cycle, it influences what we invest in. It influences our ability to raise capital. It influences our ability and how it directs our ability to manage our assets, our buildings. And it also, um, it influences our ability to attract tenants and retain them. So from a tenant perspective, um, if we can make our buildings more sustainable, it can it effectively can mean reduced operating costs for the tenants. And that can be through um, savings in water, savings in waste and savings in energy. And, um, you know, that is something we're, we're really focused on doing. It can also mean um, healthier indoor air environments, which okay. is a great focus, uh, really quite a focus post-COVID. Um, and also it supports the ten- our tenants in achieving their own ESG objectives through their corporate corporate state their, their corporate objectives mm. um, from an investor's perspective investors seek to own high quality sustainable buildings because it attracts high quality tenants and these high quality tenants with their corporate ESG objectives typically have larger balance sheets and again greater ability to pay the rent and that translates into higher occupancy and then a greater line of sight to income. Mm. Okay. So again, that's a really that's great. That's what an investor's after. And at the end of the day, focusing on sustainability and climate change is going to lower risk from an investment portfolio perspective. Mm. Is there anything in particular or specific around sustainable energy that you're doing on buildings? Yeah. Look, we're um, we've actually recently signed a um, a, we've taken our whole portfolio to 100% renewables and um, we've also, uh, Charter Hall participates in the several sustainability ratings including the um, Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark or GRESB Um, and this is commonly used by investors um, in who own real estate portfolios and um, I'm pleased to say that um, 12 of our funds this year um, of our office funds have all achieved within uh, above within the top twenty percent um, of the Gres universe. It's a great so, result. Yeah, it's a real testimony to um, the work that we're doing. Um, we're looking to, you know, as I said, secure on-site renewables as well as transition our buildings um, away from fossil fuel to reduce the carbon footprint. Excellent. No, no, that's great. And so let's let's get into I suppose the the market environment. But you know, talking about you know, you're in the market for providing space for for workers. So employment forecasts uh, are very important. And you know, we've got you know uh, fears of a recession coming through. You know, arguably uh, other parts of the world have have 
started on that one there. So, kind of, what what's your forecast for for demand uh, for for office space? You know, based on um, employment forecasts. Yeah. Look, with the um, the border reopening and the gov- as the government moves to incentives um, for skilled migrants to lift and lifting the work, lifting the caps um, around. Um, migration, um, we, I think we can expect some of this growth to come back. Um, and then that is likely to translate into um, increased demand for office space. Um, forecast, I've got some forecasts here from major um, economic houses, um, and that estimates that um, employment counts in white-collar employment could increase by 582,000 over the next five years. And so that's close to 120 new workers in a year for the industry, and that that's aligned to pre, pre-pandemic averages. Mm. So this could mean about 2.9 million uh, square metres of office space over the next five years. Um, but in saying that, uh, we are witnessing some of the steepest increases in interest rates in history. Yep. So um, you know, it it will be interesting to see if the central banks. Um, you know, if they overshoot or not. Uh, and so it's interesting also because Europe is probably tipping closer to the re- to recession and um, the US is likely, possibly will follow as well. So what that means for Australia, I mean, we have historically been buoyed by, you know, the growth of China. Um, it's unclear where China's going as well. So the will they open? Is, will they not reopen? You know, yeah, it comes up every day. Exactly. Yeah. So the outlook is um, it's it's uncertain for sure. Um, however, I think that you know, if if bond yields moderate, that will be supportive for real estate. Um, you know, however, if they continue to increase, um, it is likely to see some pullback in pricing. Mm. Um, you know, I just don't think we can get away from that. But what we will see is, um, again, a bifurcation in the pricing for um, office assets. And particularly, you'll see this around um, obsolete, low-quality properties that can't afford to put the capex in to attract the new tenants they'll typically have a lower occupancy and therefore a lower um, weighted average lease expiry. And because of that, you'll see real pulls out in the, you'll see real bifurcation in the pricing um, relative to higher quality property, office properties that will attract the tenants and therefore they'll have higher occupancy and longer weighted average lease expiries and um, more certain income prospects over time. Mm-hmm. So I think you'll see a real divergence and, and if I think back, Prior to the prior to um, you know COVID, um, I suppose that spread between premium and A grade and secondary assets had closed perhaps too too, tight. too tightly. Yeah. So um, you know, as I, as I said, we're really seeing a, a flight to quality and a flight to experience. And from a charter hall perspective, you know, we really need to adapt. Mm. So what are you doing with your portfolio? Yeah, we. Um, well, we've hired a place and experience team, um, so they've they're really employed to understand what our tenant customers really want mm-hmm. and help position our portfolios and provide the tenants with the product that they're wanting. Um, really, just to get ahead of the curve, uh, we're also um, we're also looking at our flex offering very carefully. 
um, flex in, in terms of co-working. Um, you know, some office providers have taken that in-house. We are probably not going to go down that path. We'll leave it for the experts. Is that like shared communal space within the building? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've got two floors, you know, that's mine, I tenant that, but then the two floors above me, it's a bit communal and I can it's opt into taking time, space, that kind of thing. So there's flex that's dedicated for a building yep. that's provided by a landlord and then there's flex that can be provided by either as an operational model mm. that either the landlord or third-party tenants can book and ah, so okay. you charge a revenue yep. stream for that. Yeah. Um, so we're looking into flex. Um, we certainly don't think that one it's a one-size-fits-all model. Um, it's really around um, tailoring the product to the asset and the market in which it operates in. Mm. Um, you know, in this uh, uncertain environment, uh, we are very focused on CapEx and really focused about where it's only spending it, where it's prudent to, where it's going to pay off from a return perspective. Um, and we're going to, we have been diversifying away from the buildings that are not going to meet the demands of future tenants. And um, we've been, importantly, we've been not just doing it post-COVID, we've been doing this through the cycle. So that we have been always curating our portfolio to ensure that we've got the right product that people want to be in. Mm. Does that kind of imply like a, a certain level of turnover in, in your book on average? Not necessarily, um, but it's again, it's really just um, constantly re reviewing the portfolio mm. to make sure that we've got um, the right product, um, you know, either built buying or creating it. So a lot of our value through Charter Hall has been because we have our own um, development capability yep. and we have a very deep pipeline. Um, and if you look at our, you know, our stats speak for themselves. If you look at our um, office occupancy across our business, it's around um, 96%. It's huge. Which is great. Yep. Um, and so, you know, 4% 4, 4 vacancy. And if you compare that to, say, um, the national office vacancy at around 14%, it's, um, you know, it's worlds apart. So at the end of the day, we either want to own or create via development um, buildings that people want to be in such that we can capture a disproportionate share of the demand. Excellent. I think we'll leave it there. Miriam, that was fantastic. We covered a lot there and it's great to get an update again on what's happening with offices and uh, commercial property. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. No worries.